Last week we read about Paul's journey back to Jerusalem. He went to Antioch and he hadn't been to Antioch in three years. And so he went back to Antioch. That was the church that actually sent him out on his first missionary journey. And so there he was in Antioch. He probably stayed there about a year. And now he was going to go back out and he made a loop around through Galatia and Phrygia. And um, now he's going to encourage us as he arrives back in Ephesus. And uh, today's message is titled, The New Baptism as we continue in Acts chapter 19 in verse 1, where we read, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We'll stop there. So here's Paul. He's going through. Now, do you remember when he was there last time and he was traveling through that region? He had Timothy. He had Silas. Um, he had um, um, Aquila and Priscilla that were with him. He then he left and Aquila and Priscilla ran into Apollos and Apollos understood um, the baptism of John. And so he, that's all he was familiar with. And so at that point, uh, Apollos uh, left and then went back up to Corinth after he received the word from um, Aquila and Priscilla and understood fully the gospel, then he goes up to Corinth and then uh, Timothy and Silas were there in Ephesus and they were still a small church, a small group of people in Ephesus. And so now Paul comes back into Ephesus. Ephesus was a big city. It was 300,000 people. And yeah, they didn't even have a phone book. And uh, so, you know, to go and find groups of believers, you know, you couldn't go looking for the nearest church. You could find the synagogue. And that's probably the first thing Paul was doing. But he found 12 disciples. And so when you find 12 disciples, disciples of who? And so he went and found them and then said, there's something missing here. And that's how come he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they were believers, but they were without the Holy Spirit. And some commentators, oh, they weren't saved yet. Well, I don't get that because they were believers and they understood the ministry of John the Baptist. And so they said to him, hey, we haven't so much as heard 
of the Holy Spirit. So this was new to them. Well, where were they that they were missing out on this? Well, it's probably happened that they heard the ministry of Apollos before Aquila and Priscilla set Apollos straight. So they heard Apollos and they understood the baptism of John. Or it could have been that they went to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, the feasts, and on the way they saw this guy in leather and eating locust and honey out by the river, Duncan people. And they heard him and listened to him and said, oh, this guy makes so much sense. And so they were baptized themselves into John's baptism. So we're not really sure about where they actually came from, but they had an understanding to a certain point. That's the problem we have today. There are many people that have an understanding to a certain point. They understand this much of the gospel. Maybe it's because when they were growing up, they were brought to Sunday school and they heard the stories and they heard about Jesus and Noah and Moses and Abraham. So they have all these stories. You know, I wish they would listen to the parable of the prodigal son and apply that a little more sometimes. But they're just up to the basics of a relationship with Jesus. They don't have that. They just have some head knowledge. And then they find a church. I, you know, God puts a desire in each one of us to find him. It, it's something he puts in there. It's a void. It's an emptiness that we're not satisfied until we find him and fill that void with him. It's in everyone. But you find that many people fill that void with other things. They fill that void with sin or they fill that void with things that aren't sinful in and of themselves. Marriage, relationships, children, education, careers, those things aren't sinful, but they are distractions from the primary thing that we need, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so a lot of people find themselves empty because they haven't filled that void with Jesus they filled it with everything else. And they just have this emptiness. And so eventually, many of them stumble into church somewhere. They go to a church or someone comes to their front door and invites them into their church. If you don't know what the Jehovah Witnesses teach, it almost sounds good. It almost sounds like Christianity. As a matter of fact, they preach out of the Bible. It's 
not our Bible. It's called the New World Translation. And they change words in their Bible so that they don't mean the same thing as what's in our Bible. They don't believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. They don't believe that he is God. And it just throws everything that's important in the gospel out. Because now you're just believing in their interpretation of what they want you to believe. You know, the um, Jehovah Witnesses also believe that Jesus is locked away in the Watchtower Society in Brooklyn. Did you know that? Yeah. That's what they believe. That's what they teach. Hey, you know what? This year, I don't know if that's what they believe anymore. But that's what they believed about 10 years ago. And that Jesus was locked away waiting to reveal himself. And he's with, you know, the, the Watchtower Society in Brooklyn. So, um, you know, they're going to let him out on bail. And I don't understand then you have other religions that are out there. I'm not going to name them all. I don't have to. But people go looking for answers. They want to fill that emptiness. They may even look at the Bible, but it doesn't fit their lifestyle. It doesn't fit their worldview. And because it convicts them, they get rid of it and look for something that isn't as convicting. Maybe Buddhism, maybe Hinduism, maybe Mormonism, maybe one of these other religions make me feel more comfortable. Or maybe someone that interprets the Bible that makes me happy. I don't want to hear about bad things. Just make me feel good about myself. Don't teach me the whole Bible. Only teach me the parts that make me feel good. There are many churches that are like that. The reason why I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor is because I want the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want it all. I, I want to read through the whole thing. And not only that, I want you to know the whole thing. I don't want you to know Pastor Rick's interpretation of the Bible. I want you to know the Bible. And I will never tell you, just take my word for it. Sorry, won't do that. Be a Berean. Go home and look at it yourself. Go study these things on your own. Because that's the way you grow. You know, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And by studying it yourself, even if you don't understand it today... God will show you what you need to understand. And he will open up the truth to you. And so here, they didn't even know what, what the Holy Spirit was. They were unsure. But Paul wants to figure out, where are these guys spiritually? Verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. 
And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. So John gave them basically what they needed to know to get started in the right direction. You need to repent. Now, I just want to confirm with you guys that that's still true today. If you're in sin, you need to repent, okay? That hasn't changed. That's a good start into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then there's Jesus Christ himself. We need to have a relationship with him, not with repentance. And many people think they can have a relationship with repentance. Many people think that they can stop doing bad things and that gives them a relationship with Jesus. Just by not doing bad things does not give you a relationship with Jesus. You have to invite Jesus to be in a relationship with you. Well, see, he's knocking at the door. He wants the relationship. He's there knocking. And all you have to do is invite him in. Open the door and say, please come in. Be part of my life. And help me to understand this. Help me to understand the instructions. You know, I'm a computer programmer. And when I'm designing computer programs, sometimes I don't understand what's, why things aren't doing what I want them to do. I wrote it. But the computer doesn't understand what I wrote. And the computer is doing something unusual, or it's not doing anything at all. And I'm looking, saying, what is it? And someone that is not a computer programmer comes over and looks and says, well, did you do this? And I'm like, I'm the computer programmer. Who are you to come over and tell, oh, you're right. Oh, oh you, you know, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. And, and then I go, and they don't understand computer programming, but they understand how the computer's supposed to work. Did you think of this? Oh, no, I didn't. And, and the Lord, I, I can hear him snicker, and, and say, why didn't you just ask me? Well, Jesus, you didn't have computers. How would you know? You know, and... And sometimes we get so engrossed with what we think we're capable of doing that we don't include Jesus until we're at a point where we don't have any choice. I, I finally got to this point where, all right, my last resort is prayer. Should have been your first resort. Oh, I'm not saying that I do that all the time. I'm the one out there doing the same thing over and over and then saying, wow, I guess I should have prayed about that first. When it comes to ministry, I pray about everything first. But when it comes to living life, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I can handle this. I'm used to doing this. You know, and, and the Lord's like, okay, well, you go ahead and give it your best shot. And, uh, and then give me a call when, when, when you're ready. And, and so... Here, Paul is telling them, 
John baptized with repentance. He was telling you what you needed to do to get, but he was always pointing to Jesus Christ. He was always saying, this is what you need. This is who you need. And I'm not worthy to even unlatch his sandal. This is who you need to be following. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, they knew. It wasn't because, oh, well, if Paul said this, this is what we need to do then. You see, I believe that they did repent. I believe they were following John's baptism of repentance. But when they heard what Paul had to say, they were cut to the heart. They knew this is what we're missing. This is what we need. And they were baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people think, oh, um, well, where did they go? What water did they get baptized in? Or, or how was it sprinkling? Was it full immersion? What kind of baptism was it? You know? And this is interesting because we don't hear what kind of baptism it was. You see, remember, John said, I truly baptize with water, but there is one coming who is going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so that's something that, you know, well, what part of fire? You know, do I have to go into the fire? You know, and do I have to? No, that's not what he was talking about. Remember on the day of Pentecost when the 120 were up in the upper room and they were all in prayer and little flames came up above their head and the sound of wind was in the room. Sound of wind, not wind. If it was wind, it would have blown out the flames. So it had to have been the sound of flame and little flames. on And they were filled with the Holy Spirit then. And they went out speaking in other tongues. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was no water. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I believe that maybe this is... Uh, what took place here also. They received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit merely by hearing this. Now, he may have taken them out to water and rebaptized them, but they've already been baptized in water. So they didn't need that part again. It isn't that we have to go through certain, um, you know, type of religious ceremonies to get to, there was no religious ceremony for the thief on the cross when Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. He was up there on the cross and he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me. And he didn't say anything more than that. It was as simple as that. Do you know why? Because it wasn't the words that he used, it was the heart that he spoke them out of. It's the heart that we have when we speak the words. Verse 6 continues on. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And now, 
the men were about 12 in all. So Paul laid hands on them. And so I believe that this was one event, them receiving the Holy Spirit, Paul laying hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are churches that teach that if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not saved, that you don't have the Holy Spirit. Do you realize in the book of Acts, there are only four times that people spoke in tongues and prophesied when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The first time was in Acts chapter 2, when the disciples were up in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and preached in other tongues. They were speaking in other languages because all of the people there were from other places and they understood them. And what did they hear? They heard them speaking the wonderful works of God. It wasn't prophecies that, oh, you're going to do this. You're, you're going to go buy a new camel. And it, it's, it wasn't any of that. It was the wonderful works of God. That's what the tongues were about. And that should always be what tongues are about, glorifying God. And if you don't speak in tongues, that's not a requirement to be saved. As a matter of fact, so that's one, Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 8, there was another group that received the Holy Spirit and then started speaking in tongues and prophesying. These were the Samaritans. And they received the Holy Spirit. Why did they start speaking in tongues? Because that was an outward manifestation of the inward change of the Holy Spirit before the Jews. And when the Jews saw that, now they said, hold on, these Samaritans, they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. And so they accepted the Samaritans in because of the fact that they demonstrated the Holy Spirit. It wasn't something, well, okay, if you receive the Holy Spirit, we'll see it over the course of the next 15 years, as we see how you live your life and what you do and what church you go to, and that's not it. They had to demonstrate it, and they did right away. It was something that was necessary for the Samaritans so that they were sure that they had this gift from the Lord and also for the Jews, that they would be accepted as families in Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house after having the vision of the sheets coming down. And he goes in and he starts speaking to Cornelius and his family. He was just sharing with them. And it says in Acts 10.44, while Peter was still speaking with them the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed, the Jews that came with Peter and were there with him, they were the circumcision that believed, were astonished. 
they saw that the Holy Spirit had came upon them. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. As many as came with Peter, all of these other Jews that came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And so here's another incident where the tongues were a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the Gentiles. And so now the Gentiles themselves can be sure that they were receiving the Holy Spirit, and so did the Jews. And now it brought them together as family. So each instance where we see people getting saved and receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts, there were four instances. Each time we see it's for the glory of God, and it's also for those people to know that they were filled with the Spirit. It was an outward manifestation of being filled with the Spirit. So this final time were these 12 Jews that were in Ephesus. I say uh, 12. We just read that in verse 7. There were, uh, the men were about 12 in all. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit as you know, Paul laid hands on them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. You remember that Ephesus was the city that the Holy Spirit told them they weren't to go to when they were trying to go to Asia. That area was considered Asia. And when Paul was wanting to go up into Asia to preach, Ephesus was one of those places. But the Holy Spirit said no. And they kept trying to go north. And he said no until they went to Macedonia. Well, this is years later, and now they're finally getting to minister in Ephesus. And we're seeing the fruit of the ministry there in Ephesus as they are um, sharing the gospel. People are getting saved. And now Paul isn't with the other disciples that are there ministering in Ephesus. You know, you have a synagogue. When there's 10 Jews in the city, you have a synagogue. You have to have a synagogue. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to have a physical building, but they now form together the 10, and they start to invest in putting a synagogue in, building a synagogue, renting a synagogue, whatever the case may be. That's what they do. Well, this is a city of 300,000. So... There are many synagogues there. So Paul probably didn't know where the other believers were, but he found 12, these 12. And now he's starting to pour into them. He wants them to know the truth. And the thing is, is we don't always expect people to then receive the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden be on fire, go out there and, you know, saving people. All right, we're going to, you know, go out and we're going to have this huge ministry. Quite often, when people receive the Holy Spirit, you don't hear much about what happens. It's an inward change and it takes time for the Holy Spirit to break through the junk in that person's life. Some people 
are horrible, mean, ugly people. And I don't mean ugly and physical appearance. I'm talking about ugly inside. And it, that was me. I was one of those, you know, people that was just not living for the Lord, living for myself. And uh, it, but I had an immediate conversion when I received Jesus. And I got rid of all the ugliness out of my life immediately. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's because of my wisdom and my brilliance. <laughs> it was because of my good looks. I, w I used to be good looking. And because of those things, I was able to... I wasn't able to do that because of any... It was because of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit gave me power over drugs and alcohol and all of the other things in my life that I was involved in. And it was just immediate. And everyone that knew me knew something was different. They could see the change. And I was just on fire. Now, that fire dwindled because I was so... My, the whole life was about me and what I was doing for God. And and when you do that, when you focus on what your ministry is instead of what God's ministry is, um, things start to fall apart. And so that's what happened in my life. That was 40 years ago. And then eventually I realized what my mistake was. My mistake was that I thought I knew what I was doing and God hadn't poured into me yet all of the things that I needed to do the ministry that he gave me. He gave me a ministry. And it was a very simple ministry, sharing the gospel with others. But I didn't realize that initially. And I was too busy trying to do it on my own. But over the years, things changed. And here I stand before you today hoping that you hear him and not me. Hoping that the message that I speak is not focused on me, but focused on him. Because he's the one that saves you, not me. There's no one in this room that can save you except for Jesus. He's here with us too. And so that's where our hope needs to be. And that's where these guys now, they're saved. And so in verse 8, we see, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so he goes into the synagogue and he's preaching in the synagogue. And they called his um, sect the way. That's what the Jews called it. The Jews called it the way. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life.
and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said it. So Jesus was the one who coined the term the way. But they were just using that. The Jews were using that in a negative way. But Jesus had already established that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So the Jews spoke evil of the Christians, and they started meeting. Paul took his disciples, and they started meeting in the school of Tyrannus during the day all businesses shut between 11 and 5. All businesses shut down. They, they didn't do business. And so the school of Tyrannus was probably a building that wasn't being used from 11 to 5. And so he went and had church during the day, every day, from 11 to 5. And he would be preaching there, and he would be sharing the, the gospel there. He would be teaching the Old Testament you know, messages that pointed to the Messiah in a school, the school of Tyrannus. This was the first church building mentioned in the Bible. It's a church that meets in a school. When we first started this church, we met in a school we were there for five years in the school. Five? Is that what? Yeah, we were there five. Yeah. So we were there in the school, and, um, and now we're here in this building. But people say, oh, well, you don't need a building to be a church. That's absolutely true. You need to be connected to Jesus. The church isn't a building. The church is the people. But we get together in buildings so that we can have moments like these where we hear from God together so we can hear what God wants to do together. And sometimes he uses a body of believers together to accomplish his purposes, but each one of us are also um, commissioned to go do what the Lord wants us to do. We're sanctified, we're set apart we're set, sanctified it is this cool word that we use in Christianity that means that we're separate from the world. We're set apart to something. But here's what sanctified actually also means. There are a couple of different meanings, but it, it, they all tie together. Sanctified means being used for the purpose you were created. So if you're a pen laying on a desk, you're a pen, but you're not accomplishing your purpose. But when someone picks you up and starts writing with you, you're sanctified. You're doing what you were created to do. A frying pan is sanctified when someone cooks in it. And we are sanctified when we do what our creator has created us to do. We are accomplishing the purpose that he put us here for. And so that's why we are together here so that we can grow together, so that we can find, hey, where is the missing thing? Where is, oh, well, that person knows how to do that, and let's all get together, and I'll do my part, you do your part. You're, you're the foot, you're the arm, you're the eye, you're the ear. Who's the pancreas? No, okay. So we all fulfill our part, and when we do, we have a healthy body. 
And we all work together to accomplish things. That's what Paul was doing there in Ephesus. He was meeting there. Now, look at what it says. It says that all Asia heard. Remember, Ephesus was 300,000. He said all Asia. That's Galatia. That's Phrygia. That's all of that area. How could they possibly hear if all it was was him meeting with 12 guys in a school? How could, how could they hear? How could all of Asia hear? You see, because those 12 went out and they shared what they were learning from Paul so that others came and heard what was going on. You see, that was a, a town, that was a city of 300,000, meaning that wasn't a small little schoolhouse the size of this room. It was probably a big school. It probably had a big auditorium or an amphitheater and lots of people were coming to hear and all of Asia heard. That's the good news. We only have to reach 24,000. Well, right now we're at 20. In about two weeks, there'll be 4,000 more coming into town and then we can reach them with the gospel. We can reach them with the truth. And you don't have to become a Bible scholar to do that. All you have to do is tell them that Jesus loves them, died for them on the cross, and that, oh, you want to know more? I know this guy. And you can invite them to come and hear for themselves because I love telling people about Jesus. I spoke to a guy this week on the phone for two hours. He didn't even live in Arizona. He was just going through the directory online and he found that here's a Calvary Chapel and they're open. And he called and I answered. And for two hours I shared the gospel with him. And uh, two hours, <laughs> you get off easy. <laughs> He could have hung up at any time. He could have hung up, but he didn't because the Lord was leading him into a deeper relationship with him. He already knew Jesus, but he didn't know what his role was. Hopefully today, I pray that he does. So we close considering this new baptism. It's not new. Jesus created this baptism when he died on the cross and then he made a way for us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and live with the Holy Spirit inside of us. He made it possible for us to be used by him to reach others because when you're talking, you may just be not sure of what you're saying, but half the time when I'm talking, I'm not sure, but I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's saying to you what God wants you to hear. And so when you walk away from here saying, wow, that spoke to me, it's because of what God is doing through his Holy Spirit in your hearts, in your lives. And I'm just thankful that I get to be a part of that. You can be a part of that in someone else's life. Amen. Amen.